0: can I keep from singing? The news is good news. Jesus has paid the price for our sin. He has rescued us from the enemy's camp. And he loves us. Such good news. I want to share some good news today. I think some of us just need some good news today. There was a story that I read this morning. Touched my heart. It was published on World Net Daily, which is one of my favorite aggregate sites to go to for news, Christian news and other news. The headlines, Goosebumps. Waitress gets crazy tip right after plea to God for financial help. This was originally on CBN News. Simple statement, God listens. God listens. And he answers. This young woman believed in in the power of God. She was a waitress at the Hoshun Chinese restaurant in New Orleans, Louisiana. She'd gone to church on that morning before starting her shift. And after learning that the Oliver Church, a small house of worship, needed a new air conditioning unit and some repairs, she and others sacrificially donated to help cover the cost. She personally gave $300. Now this is above and beyond her regular tithe and offerings. It was a sacrifice. And then she went to work. A table sat. She served the food and she very quietly and kindly, as she always did, said, I hope you enjoy your food today. She said it was such kindness and sweetness that the man who was paying the bill when it was finished, it was a 60-some-dollar charge. He left a tip, $777. And when she saw it, she said she instantly knew that that was not for her, that that was money for the house of God because they needed to repair that air conditioning. So immediately she took that money and gave it to the church so they could pay for their air conditioning unit. Now, why does that make my heart so happy? Because she recognized something that we in America have forgotten, that church is our family. Church is not a place where we go. It's not a place for consumers. It is a place where we join together with other Christians as a family of God. We walk together. We rejoice together. We weep together. Someone said to me yesterday something that was very disturbing. They said, I go to this church because I like the, the message the preacher is giving. He's giving a straight holiness message. And he holds true to that message. It's consistent. Later, I thought to myself, he's going to that church for the wrong reason. Oh, yes, it's important that the pastor preaches a straight holiness message, calling for repentance and calling for righteousness and and trusting in the blood of Jesus Christ. But church is much more than that. We're told in Ephesians that Christ is the head of the church and that the plan of God is to bring about all things under Christ Jesus Through the church. Americans have thought church was just a place to build a big edifice, to have their entertainment, to have their social club. No. The church is the house of God, the household of God, the family of God. And this precious woman who goes to work, praying that God would send the money to repair the air conditioning. I mean, that's like considering the church, her family, her home, and it is, that is her home, that is her family. And she immediately gave the $777 to take care of the family's need. Now, I want to give context to this whole notion that the church is the family of God. You see, most of us consider our lives the little piece that we have today and yesterday and tomorrow. And when the car breaks down, my check engine light went on on my car. So this afternoon, I need to take it into the shop. And, of course, immediately in my mind, I think, Lord, how do you want me to pay for this? It's going to be expensive to repair. They're going to have to run a check, and that check will cost more than a $100 just to do the check to find out what the problem is. And then whatever the problem is, will have to be repaired. Well, we get caught up in these things of life. But I want to share some very good news with you today. And I'm going to begin in the book of first Peter. Let me read this. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. This is first Peter, the first chapter, verse 13. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not conform to the former lust, which were yours in ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all of your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The church is where you're to go to be holy and learn holiness and then walk out that holiness in daily life. If you address the Father, the one who is impartially judging according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on the earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Now notice this, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for your sake. Jesus was foreknown. It was determined before the foundation of the earth in an agreement between the father and, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that Jesus would die on Calvary to redeem God's people. Now, obviously then, a plan was put in place before the foundation of the world. Before the world was created, God had put in place a plan because he knew human beings would be deceived by the devil and in love he made a plan and that plan was for Jesus to come and die on Calvary now I need to make a very plain statement God only acts according to covenant our God is a covenant keeping God. There is an everlasting covenant. The everlasting covenant began before the creation of the world at the agreement between the father, the son and the Holy spirit concerning what they were going to do for the human race that they were about to create. So the everlasting covenant begins before the creation of the world And the everlasting covenant then arches over time and history into eternity, and it never ends. So we have what we call an everlasting covenant. It arches over the whole history of the human race, even into the eternities of time in the future. Now that's good news for me. This salvation that I have so richly found in Jesus Christ was not a last-moment thought on the part of God. He planned that before the foundation of the world. And he's going to continue that wonderful gift of salvation, of my being, of your being, a child of God, throughout eternity. We are the children of Jesus Christ. We are to be the bride of Jesus. Now, there is what we call the old covenant. There are a number of covenants in scripture, but there are only two covenants that are most important. And of course, the first is the overarching covenant of God saying, I know they're going to fall. I'm going to rescue them. It will cost the blood of Jesus Christ. But then he's going to rise from the dead and he's going to live through eternity with his people, with his bride. So we have what we call the old covenant. The old covenant is just a small little bump under the everlasting covenant. So from Moses... And we could perhaps say until the destruction of Jerusalem, some would say until Pentecost, some would say until Jesus died on the cross. I'm not sure. There are many opinions, but I'm not into the opinions of man. What I, What is true is that the old covenant was just a very short period of time from Moses until Jesus And this was a pictorial diagram. If you look at the the tent of meeting, you there find a diagram of how you enter into the presence of God. The first piece of furniture that you come to is the altar of burnt offering. Romans, the 12th chapter. Offer your lives on that altar burnt offering. We're called to be living martyr, living martyrs or living witnesses for Jesus Christ. That's under what we call the new covenant. But the new covenant is not really new. The new covenant is just another term for the overarching of the everlasting covenant. In other words, the everlasting covenant and the new covenant are the same. We call it new covenant after Jesus has bled and died on Calvary, but it is the plan that was made from eternity. And so you come into that that tent of meeting, and the first thing you have is that altar of burnt offering. The first step into the gospel of Jesus Christ is to offer yourselves unto Jesus. You must have the blood of Jesus to wash you and cleanse you. And then you go to the laver. It was uh, a container, a large container that held fresh water and the priests would wash there. It had a mirrored surface. So utter, total sanctification must happen. Before you enter into the holy compartment of that earthly sanctuary, they would change their clothes. They would put on those beautiful white linen garments. They come into the holy holy compartment, and on the left-hand side, is the candelabra. It is the presence, the enlightenment, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. On the right-hand side, you have the table of showbread. And on that table of showbread, there are 12 fresh loaves of bread representing God's people who are being offered as bread to God Almighty. And then, you immediately come to the altar of Incense. Now, some people want to just rush into the altar of Incense and say, oh, I'm an intercessor, I'm an intercessor. No, you're not. You can't come to the altar of Incense until you've offered your life as bread before God and you've been anointed by the Holy Spirit. And before that can happen, you had to be washed at the laver. And before that, you had to enter in by confession of all sin and turning from all wickedness. And then you come to that beautiful mural, cloth, hanging, drape. Scriptures tell us it represented Jesus Christ. And when he died on Calvary, In the temple in Jerusalem, it was rent from top to bottom without human hands. And that opened up for us. The death of Jesus opened up for us. The Holy of Holies. The Ark of the Covenant. And we can now dwell in the Holy of Holies with the Almighty God of Heaven, Jesus Christ. Do you see? The Ark of the Covenant had a mercy seat over the law and the Shekinah glory of God dwelling above that mercy seat. And the blood of the Lamb was sprinkled there once a year on the Day of Atonement. It is a perfect pictorial diagram for the New Covenant, for how we enter in. So, we have that overarching everlasting covenant after the death called the new covenant, but it is the same overlapping everlasting covenant. And then within that is the very small bump in time of what we call the old covenant. Now, which is older, the everlasting covenant or the old covenant? Well, obvious. The everlasting covenant is from before the creation of the world. It is the oldest covenant made between God and God. The old covenant was made between God and people. And they could not keep it. But in the everlasting covenant, the promise in Ezekiel is that God will come and write his laws in our hearts. Now, why am I sharing all of that with you? Because it's good news. It's awesome news. That God did not plan at the last minute that Jesus would die on Calvary's tree. It was the plan from the very beginning of time, before time began. And it stretches all the way into eternity. What I want you to hear in very simple terms, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're involved in something much, much bigger than that little slice of time that you will spend upon the earth. But that little slice of time is a probationary time for you to decide whom you will serve. Will you side with the everlasting covenant Or will you side with the devil? Now, I want to share some things with you that you may not have seen before. In the book of Genesis, we find the story of Abraham. Was Abraham under the everlasting covenant? Or was he under the old covenant? Well, it's obvious. Abraham lived under the everlasting covenant, not the old covenant. The old covenant did not begin until years later under Moses and the giving of the law. Let me read this for you. Lot and his wife chose to go to Sodom and Gomorrah. But kings came, five kings came, and captured Sodom and Gomorrah, destroyed the armies, took them captive, and Lot, with all of his family and possessions, were taken captive. This moves Abraham to compassion. He calls out his trained army, 318 trained servants, They join with some neighbors who are allies and they go after this great army. This great army is drinking, feeling confident. Nobody can bother them. But Abraham divides his men and they attack at night. And they destroy this army made up of five kings and their armies. He destroys them all. Then we find he recovers all of the goods. He brings back his relative Lot, his wife, his two daughters, all of the possessions of all of the people from Sodom and Gomorrah. Nobody's missing. Now, as they come back, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brings out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hands. Now, just a, a few notes. Who was Melchizedek? Well, we don't know. I've heard arguments all of my life. He was Shem. They say, no, Bible doesn't say he was Shem. He was a pre-incarnate Christ. No, the Bible doesn't say that. Almost, but not quite. All we know is that he was a priest of God Most High, under the Everlasting Covenant, because the Everlasting Covenant, it was in effect at that time, not the Old Covenant. He is not a priest of the Old Covenant. Aaron is chosen to be priest from the tribe of Levi. This is before. So he is now not under the Old Covenant. He is in The New Covenant, or the Everlasting Covenant, or the New Covenant. And then it says, Then Abram gave him, this is Genesis 14, verse 20, Then Abram, or Abraham, gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high creator of heaven and earth and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the throng of a sandal so that you will never be able to say I made Abram rich. In other words, I'm not going to take any sickening garments or sinful money from Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, I want you to notice something in this. Abraham pays a tithe. What is a tithe? A tithe is 10% of your income. Abraham gives him that is, the king of Salem, Melchizedek, 10% of all of the goods that they recover. He paid him a tithe. And Melchizedek brings out bread and wine to refresh them. The symbolism is too much to miss. The broken body of Jesus and the spilled blood of Jesus Remember, this is under the everlasting covenant. Now, I hear people say to me, Pastor, tithing is an old covenant command. Yes, you're right. Under the old covenant, the children of Israel were ordered to pay a tithe of 10%. So if you get a $1,000, 10% would be $100. When I was a child, my father would give me 25 cents every week as my allowance. And then I would tithe that 25 cents. But how do you tithe 25 cents? So instead, I gave a nickel every week when we went to church. It was my tithe and a small offering. There are those who say we are not under the obligation to tithe in the new covenant, and that is correct. But I want you to notice that in the everlasting covenant, Abraham is moved by the Spirit to tithe, to give that 10%. Now, I want you to see another instance of this. In the story of Jacob, And by the way, Jacob is under the everlasting covenant. Jacob is not under the old covenant. Again, the old covenant does not begin until Moses. So we find this story. Jacob is running from Esau. He has lain down out in the desert to sleep because he's exhausted. And God shows up. A ladder comes from heaven. Angels of God ascending and descending. And the Lord says, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. This is in Genesis, the 28th chapter. Now, in this instance, in verse 20, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God And this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. I will give you a tithe. So now we have two examples of everlasting covenant patriarchs giving a tithe to God. Why is this important? Because in the everlasting covenant, we are not required by law to give a 10% tithe. But what I want you to see, if you go back to the very beginning, Cain and Abel brought before God their offerings. Abel brought the fat of lambs. Cain brought the fruit and vegetable of his garden. If you look carefully at the Hebrew words, it indicates that the concern that God has was not with the offering of a lamb. This is everlasting covenant. And what God was concerned with was that Cain brought a stingy offering before God. How many times i've watched men and women throw 20 or 40 dollars in the offering plate and think that they have done the will of god they don't pay tithe they just throw it in the pot because that's what they want to do but they're mistaken it's obvious from abram and from jacob that the way they entered into the everlasting covenant was making an agreement with God about their food and their clothing, making an agreement with God about what they were going to do and they were going to give God that 10%. Now, I want you to see one other thing. In chapter 15 of Genesis, after Abram has said, I'm not going to take any of this worldly money, no money from Sodom and Gomorrah, it's contaminated, it's evil. After he's given his tenth, chapter 15, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. I am your shield, and I am your reward. Now, please hear me. Do you want God to be your reward? You're living today under the overarching of the everlasting covenant. Here are two men who entered into agreement with God who entered into that everlasting covenant by saying, I'm making a covenant with you, God. I'm not going to take the filth of Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm not going to take for myself. I'm going to give to you. Do you have holes in your pocket today? Do things not go very well for you? Are you blessed of God? I want to tell you today that you are invited by Almighty God to enter into that everlasting covenant, not just with words, but with actions. Malachi, and I consider Malachi who was the last prophet of Israel before John the Baptist. I consider particularly chapter 3 and chapter 4 as being a part of the teaching that's necessary to enter into the presence of God. Now, why is this so difficult? Because Money represents compacted energy. It represents our labor. It represents what we can use to take care of our families. And Abraham says, I'm giving a tenth to God. Jacob, under the everlasting covenant, comes along and he says, I'm giving a tenth to God, and he's going to provide me then with clothes and food and safety. If you want to enter into a covenant with God, it's going to require that you give 10% of your income. It's going to require that you get some skin in the game. Now, I'm very grateful to those of you who give for the work of the gospel on National Prayer Chapel. And I know God honors those gifts. But I want to share with you now what Malachi says. And yes, we're going to go, before all of this is finished, into the New Testament. And there you're going to find that Jesus said, yes, you should have done that. But it's not a legal requirement for the new covenant. Under the everlasting covenant, everything we have belongs to God. But both Abraham and Jacob entered into that covenant with God of paying a tithe. Now listen. Malachi, the third chapter. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launder's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings in Judah and Jerusalem will be accepted to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years." So he's speaking about the coming of John the Baptist prophetically before the coming of Jesus. And he's speaking about Jesus as he came the first time and the second time. The next time Jesus comes, he's going to come as a refiner's fire. He's going to come as a launder soap. Now notice. So I will come near you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers for Adulters, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppose the widows and the fatherless and deprive the aliens of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I, the Lord, do not change. What have I been saying to you? The Lord doesn't change. He has this overarching, everlasting covenant from before the creation of the world into the fullness of eternity. Now watch. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return to you? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. You ask, how do we rob you in tithes and offerings? Have you robbed God in tithes and offerings? Is your commitment to Christ simply a matter of words? But when it comes down to the actions, you don't lay your life down for Jesus Christ. You want to keep your money? It's your money. No, it's not. All that you have belongs to Jesus Christ. Surely you could give him a tithe of that money, and you could give him an offering out of that money. I want to tell you with joy, I pay tithe. I receive each month, a sum of money from Social Security. I put a tithe in the offering plate for the National Prayer Chapel. I pay tithe on that. Why? I could say, but all that I have belongs to Jesus. Yes, but that's put in my responsibility. You are under a curse. If you are not tithing to Jesus, even though... You are not under the old covenant. You are still under a curse. The whole nation of you, because you are robbing me, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. What's he talking about? The church. Now, I know the church has misused the tithe. We've built great edifices for our own glory, and God is angry about that. The tithe is not to build great edifices in the honor of men. The tithe is to put food in the house of God for people. And I know the time is coming soon when many people will be going hungry. Where should they go? They should go to the church to the family of God because the family of God will sacrifice in the name of Jesus, Ephesians all things are to be brought under the headship of Jesus through the church but if there's no food in the church if it's all spent on their grand buildings going millions of dollars in debt then that church is in apostasy Yes, I said it. A church that goes millions of dollars in debt, a million dollars in debt, to build its great edifice is in apostasy. They don't understand what the church is. The church is the body of Jesus Christ. It is a community, it is not a place, it's a family. And our first obligation is to care for that family and then to care for others outside of that family that they could be blessed and come to know Jesus Christ. Now notice. Oh, I want to say one other thing. Some of you have complained because I have invited you to give. To support this radio broadcast and you have said, why is he always asking for money? If you have said that, shame on you. And you are under a curse and God is displeased with you. I hope you hear me. I don't mean to offend you, but I'm going to speak the word of God straight, clean and clear. The very heart focus of my life is on the gospel of Jesus Christ. It comes before food. It comes before clothing. It comes before everything. The cry of my heart is for the gospel. Everything else I lay down for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So don't be complaining and showing yourself to be a hypocrite, cursed by God, by complaining when I, as a pastor, say, Please, we need the resources to cover the cost of this radio broadcast this month. Instead, quickly come as this precious woman did that I shared with you earlier and brought her offering and then prayed for more and God gave it to her. I know that this broadcast needs to be national on FM radio. But I know that's not going to happen until God's people get a vision of what it would mean to have this country of america confronted with its sin and called the holiness and righteousness we need some good fire and brimstone preaching we need some good understanding that if you're not tithing you're under a curse now watch verse 11 No, verse 10, but the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Trust me, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough to hold it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your field will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations We'll call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. You've said harsh things against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You've said, it's futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners? Or you might say, what what did we gain by paying tithe? but now verse 15 we call the arrogant blessed certainly the evil doers prosper and even those who challenge god escape then those who feared the lord talked with each other and the lord listened and heard A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. In other words, the Lord is speaking about the end of time, and in the same context, he's speaking about those men and women who are willing to enter into the everlasting covenant or the new overarching covenant and say, I will tithe. I will give my tithe and my offerings unto the Lord. There will be food in the house of God. Have you made that decision? I challenge you. Test God in this and see if what he's saying is not true. I have, and I can testify today, that God abundantly blesses the man or woman who enters into the everlasting covenant with God or the new covenant with God with tithes and offering and sacrifice much more beyond. My father was blessed all of his life. God carried him. He was a a Raleigh salesman. He made $50 a week. That was his goal, $50 a week, $200 a month. And of that, he gave 10% to the church. And he gave 40% to radio broadcasts and other ministries for the work of the gospel. So how much do you want Jesus? If you're serious about Jesus, be serious about what you give him and enter into that everlasting covenant And it says, they will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. That's at the second coming of Jesus. That's what we're dealing with here. Don't tell me the Old Testament doesn't teach tithing or the New Covenant doesn't teach tithing. Of course it does. I will spare them just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him and you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. You cannot serve God if you are not paying a regular tithe and offerings into the house of God. It's there. Well, we're out of time for today's broadcast. If you have not been in the practice of tithing, you have robbed God and you need to begin to make amends and you need to repent and you need to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse of God. If this is where you're taught, if this is your spiritual base, then you need to pay that tithe to the national national prayer chapel. If you have another church that you're a part of and that's your base, then you need to pay your tithe there and bring offerings for the work of the gospel here on Pilgrim's Progress. I'd be interested in feedback. God bless you, my brother my sister. I'm Pastor Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Before the presence
1: of His glory.